Let's open our Bibles to Hosea chapter 8. Let me give you about a two-fold division for this chapter. Verses 1 through 7, judgment is announced. And then verses 8 through 14, the apostasy which, re- which resulted in the judgment. And then actually chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, should be included in the third section of this uh, lesson because it tells us of a warning against self-security. I don't know that we'll get into the ninth chapter because that would be the third point of these two points we just mentioned. Judgment is announced, chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, and the apostasy which resulted in the judgment, verses 8 through 14, and then chapter 9, verses uh, 1 through 9, is actually another topic which is warning against self-security. Israel felt self-secure, and when we feel self-secure, then we're in danger of, of, a, of a fall, and Israel was certainly in that danger. So as we look at chapter 8, if you will, we take it verse by verse, <clears throat> and this is the announcement of judgment. Chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Set the trumpet to thy mouth. You know, the trumpet of old was used to uh, sound the battle cry, to assemble the tribes of Israel for various reasons. Various purposes. It's like you know in the services now. The trumpet uh, has certain. The bugle has certain sounds, and uh, and uh, there you respond according to the whatever is played on the bugle. And the warnings. You remember seeing the movies of the old cavalry when they would charge, and they would sound the, the bugler would sound battle charge before them, or retreat, or whatever uh, signal that was to be given was given with a sound of the bugle. It says, Set the trumpet to thy mouth. And and the announcement was this, He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. What the Lord was saying here, that the enemy would come as an eagle. The enemy would approach Israel. And when it says here, the house of the Lord, it's talking about Israel, not just the temple or uh, tabernacle or the temple, but against the nation, the, the people themselves were the house of the Lord. And that's what's referred to here. And it says, because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. Disobedience to God's word brings the judgment. You know, if we bring this down to a modern day, what does disobedience to God's word bring in the house of God today and bring to the people of God? It certainly brings chastening. And that's what it was bringing to Israel. And we're going to see later on when we read on down here that they're going to reap what they've sown. And so we find that here it says because they have, you know, God gives a reason here to the people. He doesn't have to give a reason why he does anything, but he does give a reason. Because they have transgressed my covenant. Israel was in a special covenant relationship with God. And then they had the law given to them and trespassed against my law. In verse 2, it says, Israel shall cry unto me. My God, we know Thee. They're going to cry and say, God, we're personally acquainted with You. My God, we know Thee. And this was a false claim. They may have known God as far as the outward law and their covenant was concerned, but as far as any personal, individual repentance and turning to God in prayer, when they cried, they was crying rather falsely. You know, there's a lot of people say, I know the Lord, and that they live contrary to God's law and God's covenant and transgress the law of God. 
We find that true today, don't we? That there's a lot of professions, but it's false. And they would cry. If you read the book of Judges, you'll study that where God at time and time again would hear their cry. And uh, they would repent for just a moment or cry out for mercy and help. I don't know if it's true repentance or not. Evidently it wasn't because just as soon as God would uh, uh, remove the oppressor from them, well, what would happen? They'd go right back into the same same uh, pathway of disobedience and uh, not give heed to, to the law of God and the Word of God. So it says, Israel shall cry unto me, My God, we know thee. And verse 3 tells of their situation. Israel has cast off the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. You see how God permits even the enemy to come in and be his uh, instrument of chastening? Sometimes we wonder why things happen to us from the outside. Maybe we have it coming. Remember back in the days of Abraham when Abraham went down into Egypt and he lied about, he had Sarah to lie, and he lied about her being his sister. Well, she was his half-sister, but on the other hand, it was his wife too. And he was, you know, a half-lie, or a half-truth is a lie, isn't it? And uh, he was he was trying to skirt the situation and say, well, you know, really, technically, politically correct, or whatever you want to do to to circumvent the real situation. And thus he was putting himself and Sarah at, at risk with uh, the king, one time of Pharaoh, one time of Abimelech. And then uh, he was reproved because when Abimelech found out, he, had to re- he rebuked Abraham and says, you know, you said she is your wife, uh, your sister. He says, you take your wife now and you go your way. He says, we might have taken myself or one of the men might have taken her to themselves. So he was leaving the door open for temptation for misunderstanding and for sin to enter in. So don't ever think that you can uh, just uh, skirt around the situation and not expect something to happen. So it says here, Israel has cast off the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. And so God used uh, the enemy to be his instrument to pursue Israel and thus chasten them and bring them back. Look at verse 4. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols that may be cut off. They had taken their their real value, things of material value and gone in and attributed those to idolatrous worship. I wonder how sincere they were about giving to God's service. But they were not at all uh, reluctant to give to their idolatrous worship. You know, we have people today that will spend everything on something that does not matter and nothing on something that does matter. When we talk about the house of God and the things of God, we can give to our missionaries and it'll do some good. We can go out here and blow it in, at the casinos or uh, some other place, and which people do, or go down here and pick up all the little tickets at the fast food places and, and the small businesses in town. I saw a lady the other day, not too many days ago, down at Alsop's, getting getting those tickets and just sitting there and scratch them off. And one dollar, two dollars, five dollars, ten dollars, all gone. I mean, you know, 
I, I can scratch for less than a dollar, can't you? <laughs> Especially on a piece of paper. But that's what they do. And they just throw their money away. Just like throwing it to the wind, isn't it? And then we have people that go out and they, once in a while at the, the uh, casino out on the reservation or down here, the downs. They'll blow money that they don't even have food to take care of, the money to take buy food for the family. I knew a man at one time years ago when they would go down to racetrack, and of course they still do, but I mean at this particular time, a $2 ticket on some horse. And he'd go in the grocery store, and this is honest to truth. In fact, Troy's, uh, Nancy's husband, Troy, worked at this store at this particular time, and I remember it very definitely. This man went in there and he bought his groceries on credit, and he asked for this extra money for $2 tickets to go and put on the races. Buying his groceries on a credit and getting extra money to go down there at the racetrack and put on a, an old nag that probably wouldn't make it around the, around the last turn, hoping that he'd hit it big. Well, if he had ever hit it big very much, he wouldn't have been buying his groceries on credit, would he? So he say, well, maybe he maybe went down there and won $100. Well, he might have, but he still owed 200 or something. I'm telling you, that's a no-win situation, friend. Someone asked me if I was ahead of the, uh, head of the uh, game down to track, and I said, yeah, I don't even go. If you want to go and have a good time, that's your business. I'm not going to knock it. But I'm just going to say that it's foolish for people to get addicted to, to gambling. And that's just as much of an addiction as it is an alcoholic or a, or a glutton or anything else. You can be addicted to anything or drugs or whatever. And if you can't control, the Bible tells us that you need to be have your person under control. And the Bible says that a man that can rule his own spirit is mightier than he that taketh a city. We all used to talk about conquerors and those that go in and conquer and win battles. And we talk about the Napoleons and so on, the great uh, generals of the past. And yet, if a, if a man can control his own spirit, he is mightier. He's greater than the man that can go, go in and conquer a city or a land. All right, let's look at this. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols, that they may be cut off. The idols will be cut off. Verse 5, Thy calf, O Samaria, has cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How does God feel about this situation? How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? There are three things here. First of all, notice, Thy calf, O Samaria, has cast thee off. That's one. Mine anger is kindled against them. And then God says, how long will it be ere they attain to innocency? Let's take all three of these points. Thy calf, O Samaria, has cast thee off. If you look back at 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. After the division of the kingdom, when Solomon died and Rehoboam, uh, his son, uh, took again took the kingdom of Israel. And then we find Jeroboam entering the picture in verse 25. And we preached on a man-made religion. 1 Kings 12, verse 25. It says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Peniel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now notice, this is a man-made religion. It had its, its origin in, his, in the human heart. He says, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. He was afraid he was going to lose it back to 
to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. This was Solomon's son. By the way, Solomon's only son, too. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Now, this man-made religion that we'll just discuss in just a moment is out of uh, Jeroboam's jealousy and about uh, his own selfishness to keep the kingdom under his control. Now look at verse 28. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. He thought, took counsel with what? Himself, most likely, and then the other evil ones around about him. You know, they talk about the counsel that Saddam Hussein takes with his men. This is somewhat the, uh, well, I wouldn't say the equivalent, but is in the very same category. If you have evil counselors round about you, what's going to happen? Nothing but evil, is it? It says, Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Now this is where God wanted them to go for worship. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. He takes on the same idea that Aaron did, you know, in making the calves, saying that they were the ones that were responsible for the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. Remember back there the situation. Now look. And he set the one in Bethel and the other put he in Dan. He set one in the southern part. And Bethel is the southern and Dan's the northern part. The southern part is in the tribe of Ephraim. tribe of Ephraim in Bethel. And the other put he in Dan, the northern part of the kingdom. And this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. So you see, he made these golden calves to be worshipped, and he made an house of the high places and made priests, look, made priests of the lowest of the people. He had no regard for purity. The sons of Aaron were the ones that, and which were not of the sons of Levi. The tribe of Levi was the priestly tribe. Now look, in verse 32, And Jeroboam obtained, uh, ordained, I should say, a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto, see that word like unto? You need to circle that likened to the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel that he had, and he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month, look at this, circle this, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart. That's a man-made religion, isn't it? And ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. You know, there are some things we... Let me just give you a total of what we find here. It had its origin in the human heart. It came out of his heart. It was for his own selfish ends. It was professed to be for the good of others and making them a convenient place of worship so they wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. And he pretended it was for their convenience and it became a snare to others. Verse 30, this thing became a sin. And then we find that it had no regard for purity in the priestly family. And it had the appearance of being right because he made a feast. Uh, And it was likened to the feast of the Lord. And it says in verse 33, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, for there was no real feast at this particular time, the feast of God. Now back in the book of Hosea, chapter 8, verse 5. Thy calf, O Samaria, has cast thee off. The calf, the calf in Bethel 
has cast thee off. Now, the second point of verse 5 is, Mine anger is kindled against them. You think God is ever pleased with such action? What can it arouse but God's judgment and wrath and anger? When people not only disregard, look at verse uh, 1, they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. Not only had they done that, but they had set up idolatrous worship and they were attributing everything to these calves and they were giving all their means, their silver and their gold, in verse 4, to idolatrous worship. And no wonder it kindled God's anger. Now look at this. I want you to notice the last part of verse 5. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? It was as if God, in the midst of all this, was pleading for them to turn. See, their calf brought the trouble, their idolatrous worship. God's anger was kindled, number two. And number three, how long will it be ere they attain to innocency? You get over later on, and we're going to find in the 11th chapter, where he says uh, in verse 3, and four, I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love, and I was to them as they that take off uh, their the yoke, take off the yoke of their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. And you get over in the fourteenth chapter, in verse one, he says, "O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity." In verse fourteen. Verse 2, he says, Take with you words and turn to the Lord, saying to him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. Graciously, So will we render the calves of our lips. He's trying all along to plead with them. You know, sometimes when we look at the wrath of God against Israel and against their idolatrous worship, we say, Where is His love? He pleaded with them time and time again. You know, God pleads with people today to turn. And they will not. Back in chapter 8, verse 6. <clears throat> now, for from Israel was it also the workman, for from Israel was it also the workman made it. Therefore, it is not, of, not God. See, if it's of man's own doings, it's not of God. But the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. God says it'll come to destruction. Look at verse 7. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stalk, the bud shall yield no meal. If so be it yield, the strangers shall swallow it up. They've sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. What did Paul say in the book of Galatians? In the New Testament. It says, for whatsoever, the law of harvest, isn't it? For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Not only... In quantity, but in kind, in every sense of the word. The very thing you sow, you'll reap. And however much you sow, you'll reap. And here, they have sown to the wind, they reap the whirlwind. Look at chapter 10, verse 12. Hold your place in chapter 8. Look at 10 and verse 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. Ye have plowed wickedness, ye have reaped iniquity. Ye have eaten the fruit of lies, because thou didst trust in thy way in the multitude of thy mighty men. Sow to yourselves, look, you have verse 12, in righteousness, reap in mercy. That's what God wants you to reap. And He says, break up your fallow ground, 
You know, you have folks that say, well, I'm not going to plow wickedness. I'm not going to sow bad seed. And then they say, well, I'm not going to... I'll just sit in the middle of the road and not sow good seed either. And I won't have any problem. But when God says, break up your fallow ground. You know, if you've got fallow ground, whether you sow or not, you're going to have weeds. I mean, I'll guarantee you by nature, something's going to grow on that fallow ground. So you don't have to worry about not having a bad crop. You're going to have one whether you desire it or not. So that's why God says, break up your fallow ground. That's why He wants you to do something uh, that will be beneficial. Look at chapter 12, verse 2. Let's see if I have 12, verse 2. It says, The Lord hath also a controversy with Judah, and will punish Jacob according to his ways. According to his doings will he recompense him. He's going to reap what he's sown. When God has a controversy with us because of sin, iniquity, and whatever we sow. Back in chapter 8 now, verse 7. For they have sown the wind and shall reap the whirlwind. How about Proverbs 22, verse 8? Look at Proverbs chapter 22. I believe this is the one I want. We'll see. In verse 8. He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. What? He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity. Hosea, back in Hosea, chapter 8 and verse 7. They sowed vanity and evil, and destruction would be their reaping. Verse 7, chapter 8, verse 7. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. And notice, it hath no stalk, the bud shall yield no meal. But it says, if so be it yield. You know, God has more than one way. If you do have a yielding, the strangers shall swallow it up. Still not going to do you any good. Now then, let's look at verses 8-14. through 14. This is the apostasy which resulted in judgment. What was their apostasy? Departing away from God. Turning away from God. Transgressing against His covenant and against His law. Uh, worshiping in idolatry and idols. And verse uh, 8 says, Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. And actually that indicates a despised vessel. Let's try to bring that in modern day. Wouldn't it be something if you and I as Christian men and women become a despised vessel to all those round about us so that we have no testimony and they think that God has forsaken us and God is not with us and we deserve judgment that's coming upon us and chastening that's coming upon us. They say there's nothing to Christianity. They were saying to Israel, there's nothing to Israel. They're a despised vessel. God's left them. God is judging them. If God judges His own people that way, well then He's certainly not a God that we desire. Talk about losing testimony. We would certainly lose it. The only thing that will maintain a testimony is for you and I to to live like God would have us to live. And to be an example to others. And you know, I've heard comments of different people that have admired the way Christian men and women act and what they do. And how they're impressed by it. But if you want to be a shine as a light in the world, you have to do all things. Paul says, you want to turn to Philippians chapter 2, I believe it is, and I'll give you a verse here. And let's read it. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Philippians chapter 2. And let me read it for you. And verse, uh, let's read uh, verse 14 and 15. <clears throat> and verse 16 would go good with it. 
He says in 2 verse 14, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Christians need to not go about always complaining about everything. I know we have a lot to complain about. But all the world has. But it says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Now look, verse 15, That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. Now look, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, uh, among whom you shine as lights in the world. If we're going to shine as lights in the world, we're going to have to meet these conditions. And then verse 16 says, holding forth the word of life. And I believe that's the word of God and the testimony of God. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, and so on and so forth. So if our testimony is to amount to anything, we're going to have to follow God's directions so that it will amount to something. Back in Hosea chapter 8, verse 8, Israel is swallowed up. Now they shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure, a despised vessel. For they are gone up to Assyria. Their, their sin was going up to Assyria, by the way. A while last alone by himself. Ephraim hath hired lovers, gave presents of love to practice her whoredoms and idolatries and sins. Hired lovers. Verse 10. Yea, though they have hired among the nations, now will I gather them, and they shall sorrow a little for the burden of the kings of, of princes, the, of the king of princes. Verse 11. Because Ephraim hath made many altars to sin, altars shall be unto him to sin. You see, the sin... Ephraim hath made many altars to sin. Altars shall be to him, unto him to sin. Sometimes God makes people sick of what they've indulged in. Verse 12, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. The great things of God's law, of God's word. And God says it was written. They were given instructions. They were given the law in Moses' day. They were given uh, the prophets, the major prophets we've had uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah, and Lamentations, Ezekiel before this. And what does it say? I have written to him great things of my law, but they were counted as strange, a strange thing because they had despised God's Word. If you remember, we said in chapter 4, verse 6, if you'll flip back a couple of pages in your Bible, it says, my, uh, 4 verse 6, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I also will reject thee, that thou be no, shall be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. When people reject the word of God, back in Hosea 8 now, what does it say? Verse 12, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. God's word was despised. Verse 13, it says, they sacrifice flesh for the sacrifices of mine offerings and eateth it. But the Lord accepteth them not. Now will he remember their iniquity. God did not accept their offerings because they were not offered as his uh, word had taught to be offered. But the Lord accepteth them not. Now will he remember their iniquity and visit their sins. They shall return to Egypt. They were already returned in heart. Look at this in verse 14. For Israel hath forgotten his maker, and buildeth temples. And Judah hath multiplied fenced cities. They had forgotten God. But I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour the palaces thereof. 
If you turn to Isaiah 17, verse 10, let me read this one for you. It says, Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation, and hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength, therefore shalt thou plant pleasant plants, and shalt set it with strange slips. In the day, and he's going to tell about the judgment coming upon them. In the day shalt thou make thy plant to grow, and in the morning shalt thou make thy seed to flourish. But the harvest shall be a heap in the day of grief and, and of desperate sorrow. Why? Because they had forgotten their Maker. We'll wait till uh, our next lesson to take up the third point of this message, which is a warning against self-security. That's in the ninth chapter. But we thank you for your patience, your kind attention. We'll pick up chapter 9, begin with verse 1 in our Wednesday night service, which uh, is really the first nine verses have to do with the continuance of what we've been studying. And then we'll get into the furtherance of another section of chapter 9, the second part of it, verses 10 through 17. So we thank you for your patience and kind attention.